Uh, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Cod Cabin, and happy Father's Day to all, or as we say in the, or as we say in the Commonwealth, have a wicked Father's Day. Uh, I'm Adam Bass, and joining me again is Jesse Hahn and Logan, and tonight we have one more uh, member joining us tonight. It is a candidate running for the 4th Congressional District, uh, Newton City Councilman Jake Ockencross. Jake, welcome to the Cod Cabin. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me. That's great. Well, first of all, I would like to start off with uh, discussing something that you've actually uh, released to the press as of late, and that is, of course, the new endorsements from IBEW223 and Ironworks 7. But more specifically, they've endorsed your plan to increase science manufacturing in the area of the 4th District, that being Fall River, and these other areas, such as Norton, Attleboro, and other areas. Can you um, discuss for us what this plan is, what science manufacturing is, because I don't think a lot of our listeners know exactly what science manufacturing is. The life sciences are not only a critically important way that we cure disease and improve the quality of life for patients and those suffering with both chronic and acute illnesses, they are the economic engine of Massachusetts. In 2008, in the last Great Recession, Governor Deval Patrick realized that Massachusetts had to build on its strengths to get out of the recession first and to get out of it stronger than went into it. And one of those strengths was life sciences, research and development. And so working together with state government, with the scientific field, and with business, he launched the Life Sciences Initiative. It was under the auspices of Dan O'Connell, his Secretary of Housing and Economic Development, who has also endorsed me and has also been a proponent of the plan. And it was a huge success. It created jobs and it had a tremendous economic multiplier across the region. And Massachusetts did indeed come out of the Great Recession stronger and it did so with a thriving life sciences ecosystem anchored in Boston and Cambridge. <clears throat> As we confront this deeper and potentially longer recession post-COVID, once again, we should build on our strength as a commonwealth in the life sciences. But this time, it can't just be life sciences R&D. It can't just be anchored in Boston and Cambridge. It has to be inclusive, broad-based economic growth throughout the commonwealth. And the way to do that is to anchor this initiative through the life sciences manufacturing field, a field where demand far outpaces supply and where we have the potential to create tens of thousands of good paying jobs. Let me give you a couple of examples. First is what's called large molecule manufacturing or cell and gene therapies. These are one-time treatments that can cure a debilitating disease like cystic fibrosis. These are incredibly complicated and sophisticated manufacturing plants that create thousands of high paying jobs that do not all require advanced degrees. For example, right outside of Philadelphia and King of Prussia, they have put together a billion dollar manufacturing plant that has created 2000 jobs with a median salary of above $100,000. Any congressman from Massachusetts should take that plant as a personal challenge. Why aren't they building that in Massachusetts? We're doing the research in Boston and Cambridge. Those therapies are being developed right here. Why is the economic benefit of, of manufacturing them not happening throughout the Commonwealth? And so my plan calls 
for federal, state, scientific, and business partnerships for large molecule manufacturing to put down plants in places like Taunton and Attleboro and Fall River, places with proud manufacturing traditions, uh, but that need the, the concerted support of federal, state, and business officials to get going again. The same applies for small molecule manufacturing. The same applies for medical supply manufacturing. Uh, I'm not going to bore you all with the, with the intricate details. People can find it by Googling Auchincloss, Life Sciences Manufacturing, Commonwealth. Uh, but it's a plan that is both specific and far-ranging in how Massachusetts can come roaring out of this recession with inclusive, broad-based, good-paying jobs. I, I will tell you that it is very rare to see a candidate go into such detail. So you were not boring us. Um, that was incredible. Thank you for that. Uh, Jesse, uh, you're up. Yep. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Councillor. Um, uh, so on another issue that you've um, spoke, uh, spoken a lot about is transportation. Um, you said that the MBTA um, should be free, much like Boston City Councilor Michelle Wu. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in the greater Boston area and especially in the 4th District have um, concerns when it comes to transportation because they work in the city of Boston or they work in the city of Newton. Um, can you give our listeners the SparkNotes version of your transportation plan? Read the tea indeed. Uh, so I'm the chair of transportation at the city council in Newton. And I am also someone who has several years of experience in the private sector working on transportation solutions. So I've seen this challenge from both the public and the private sector. And I'm proud to say that right out of the gates in my campaign last October, we launched a comprehensive transportation and climate change plan. Why are they linked? They're linked because transportation here in Massachusetts accounts for 40% of the carbon emissions that drive climate change. Climate change being our planet's greatest threat and transportation being one of our state's greatest challenges. It's a constraint on economic growth. It's also a driver of economic inequality. We tell low income and black and brown communities that their public health and their time matters less through our transportation infrastructure because these people uh, are situated next to highways where asthma rates have spiked relative to other populations and they're sitting on buses hours in either direction. It is unfair and it needs to stop. We can do better. We can reinvent transportation in Massachusetts through a new Eisenhower plan. This time, not about public highways, but instead about public transit. That means all electric regional rail with 15 minute headways and reliable convenient service. That means connected bus rapid transit and that means better infrastructure for cycling and walking. This funded through a federal state partnership driven largely by a carbon tax. This is not innovative. I will be the first one to tell you that. This is literally just copying what has worked elsewhere throughout the world. Copenhagen, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Seoul, Seattle, Mexico City. We know what works when it comes to mobility. And yet Boston, which claims it is the scientific capital of the world, has failed to do proper peer review here and look at what has worked elsewhere. We can reinvent transportation in this state, but it requires federal and state cooperation, which I can drive. I'm sure you would agree that Donald Trump has done a very bad job handling coronavirus. But here in Massachusetts, I won I'm wondering, how well do you think Charlie Baker has done handling coronavirus? And do you think we are reopening too quickly? So over the course of this COVID pandemic, I've been hosting webinars with public health and economics experts for the benefits of my constituents. And one of the experts I've been speaking with has been Dr. Ashish Jha, the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute and a world-renowned expert on COVID-19. He is 
brief the National Governors Associations repeatedly and often appears on national media. One of the things that Dr. Joss said that has really stayed with me is he said, look, I've advised the Bush administrations. I advised the Obama administration. Differences surely in ideology, but advising the Trump administration has been shocking for, quote, the sheer incompetence that we have seen at all levels of the Trump administration. Not only are they malicious, uh, not only do they not respect the laws and norms, but they are just downright incompetent. And that incompetence has become a public health hazard. It is through only the intelligent collaborative responses of our state and local officials and leaders in the scientific and business communities here in Massachusetts that we have averted disaster that Donald Trump would have brought on us otherwise. So I think that Governor Baker has done a good job responding to COVID. Does that mean that I agree with all of his, his policies? No, I do not. Uh, his announcements about educational guidelines for fall of 2020, for example, are, are ones that I think are, are problematic. But I think that he has been a firewall for the people of Massachusetts between the incompetence of the Trump administration and the very serious public health challenges posed by this virus. Uh, jumping off of that question, um, you, uh, you said Governor Baker is handling the coronavirus well. Um, a recent Globe article said um, that you were a registered Republican for a few years um, earlier in the decade and you were paid to do um, some organizing and voter mobilization for the Baker campaign. Um, I wanted to ask you why you support uh, why you supported the governor and what would you say to voters in your district who might question your allegiance to the Democratic Party? Uh, for a few months, not a few years. I worked for Governor Patrick. I've worked for Governor Baker. And as the next member of Congress from Massachusetts, I will work with whoever is next in the corner office to deliver results for my constituents. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that, actually, because I think we all get very wrapped up in partisanship. And it doesn't help that the president uses it as a tool. So, um, but before I go to the next question, I just want to ask because of that, how do you, how do you take uh, on people who want you to be either less partisan or more partisan? Because it's, it's a real issue in this country. When I talk to voters and when I talk to local elected and state elected officials throughout the Massachusetts 4th District, what I hear from them does not usually come through a partisan lens. I don't hear that we have a democratic challenge with paving our roads or that we have a democratic problem with making sure that we can fund our school budget or that we have a, uh, a, a democratic challenge with, with public safety. What I hear is, here are the challenges that we have and here are the opportunities that we have and we need results. Now, I have been a Democrat since I was 18 years old. I strongly believe that the Democratic Party on a lot of the challenges facing this country um, has the far more in, enlightened and effective policies to promote. But at the end of the day, my job is to get results for the people of Massachusetts, and that's what I'm focused on. Speaking of results, um, there was recently a article in the, the State House News uh, that talked about you and Becky Grossman, your rival, uh, deciding not to cut police funding by 1.6% in the city council budget. Now, benefit of the doubt, this was before all that happened, but obviously some of your rivals may want to jump on this. 
um, and the college uh, Democrats of Massachusetts have become a little distraught uh, through Twitter and through other social media uh, outlets. So for our viewers and listeners, what is your response to this? Um, do you believe that this was the right choice at the time? Or do you think that there could have been maybe a different way of handling it? Or maybe there's something that we, the listeners, and we, the reporters, do not know from this story. Yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately, uh, Twitter is very good at outrage and very bad at facts. So let's just start with the facts. The police budget in Newton for fiscal year 2021 is lower than the police budget for the previous fiscal year. So let's just start with the fact that it, in fact, has been cut. All right. Okay. Uh, then uh, let's talk about the process going forward for how we think about public safety. Now I'm the chair of public safety in Newton. And when we had a recent incident in Newton that I thought was inappropriate in how the police handled uh, stopping a potential suspect, I was the very first person in the city to issue a statement that said this is completely unacceptable. Um, I have docketed several items calling for far more transparency in police hiring and training standards and uh, for the police to adopt the Campaign Zero Eight Can't Wait reforms to reduce police violence, which they have now pledged to do. Uh, most importantly, I've been a strong supporter of an independent police reform task force, which uh, will have nine appointees representing a broad cross-section of the city who will look bottoms up through the lens of racial justice at the functions and funding that the Newton Police Department is being tasked with and to determine which functions and which funding should be transferred to other departments. That is a responsible, comprehensive, inclusive process to examine Newton's police department. That though takes time. Voting to drastically cut the police budget, which would take cops off the streets uh, in the course of a five-hour debate without any plan for how those functions and fundings sh funding should be assumed by other departments um, is potentially opening up gaps in essential services. And one of the things about being an actual elected official uh, and doing a job of policymaking is that you have to recognize, um, you have to recognize these on-the-ground realities. So there is no one in this race who has been more out front on the issue of police reform, more thoughtful on the issue of police reform, uh, but it's not an issue that you can tweet about. It's an issue that you have to do work on and that takes thoughtfulness and that takes inclusivity. Will we see more of that coming from the Auchincloss campaign, more statements, maybe not on Twitter uh, per se, but more, uh, really, uh, more even plans on this and making it more public to the fourth district? Uh, I'm the chair of public safety in Newton, so my job for the, for the foreseeable future is going to be working on this issue. So, uh, you know, can I promise that I'll be doing the, the, the pithiest tweets on this issue? I don't know, but I'm certainly going to be doing the actual work on this issue. Very well. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification, Mr. Auchincloss. Uh, I'm turning it over to Jesse again. Oh, I think we just jumped over in Logan, so let's send it back to him. Oh, whoops, I am all over the place tonight. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned earlier on uh, that you disagreed with some of Charlie Baker's education plan for the fall with reopening. Uh, related to that, recently the Massachusetts Teachers Association released uh, their, their guidelines, their, their plan for how schools should reopen. And one of their, one of the, 
the items on their agenda was to cancel the MCAS. I wonder, I'm wondering, how do you feel about that? Do you have a plan for standardized testing? This is an issue that I have started to be to, to, to read more widely about. I know that some colleges have dropped their uh, standardized testing requirements for admissions. This is probably an unusual statement for a politician to make, but I actually want to withhold judgment on that until I can listen more widely, read more widely, and understand the issue better, because this is a tremendously complicated challenge. There's a lot of people in this state who know a lot more about it than I do, and I want to take the time to do my homework before I throw opinions out there. You know, guys, this is what, um, this isn't the first time I, I think that people have really said, you know, let's look back on this. This is, um, this is something we're hearing more often, you know, but anyway, yeah, go on, Jesse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think on the issue of education, I wanted to, um, switch gears to higher education to colleges and universities in our state. Um, there's some great schools in the fourth district. I'm sure you've thought long and hard about um, how these, your constituents will pay for their higher education. I was wondering if you subscribe to the idea um, that some people believe that uh, public colleges should be free, or do you follow uh, more Vice President Biden's um, ideas that maybe there should be a salary cap for that? College is one of the ladders of socioeconomic mobility in this country. It's not the only one. The unions have long themselves been engines of economic mobility through technical and vocational training and through the apprenticeship programs. And we need to also support unions in, in those efforts. One great example of that that I reference in my life sciences manufacturing plan is the Gloucester Marine Genomics Institute, which is a partnership between state officials, unions, and industry to train high school students in high demand trades right after high school. So um, while college is undoubtedly an important way to get ahead in life, and it's been important for me, we should not as a country define it as the only way. We need to make associate's degree and community colleges uh, largely tuition free. Um, and we need to ensure that all kids, uh, who want it have access to the, the financial aid that they need to attend four year degrees and to understand what debt they're taking on and how it compares to the likely earnings from the degree in the, in the career that they're choosing. And unfortunately that process is far too opaque now. Um, so we absolutely need to open up avenues of opportunity into higher education. Um, do I think that very wealthy teens should get a free government-sponsored ride to college? No, I don't think that's a progressive innovation. So uh, to, to go off, well, first of all, thank you for the answer. Um, and I wanted to talk about something that uh, I didn't really get to when we had our first interview, um, and that was the issue of healthcare. Um, compared to, so for, for many uh, candidates in the fourth district, the solution to healthcare varies. For some, it's Medicare for all. For some, it's Medicare for all who want it. For some, it's an expansion of Obamacare. Um, but, but for many, I feel as if, um, well, for one, uh, I would like to hear your views on healthcare, what it needs to be, and 
where do you think we should be going with healthcare? Should it go in a more universal uh, direction or a more expansive direction in similar like to Vice President Joe Biden's plan for uh, Medicare? I grew up in a healthcare family, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, everybody uh, was in healthcare. And so I've, uh, our kitchen table growing up was a national healthcare debate from patient to provider to researcher. Um, and I understand, I think, this issue, not just personally, but, but professionally because of that experience. Um, it's an industry that I know is tremendously important, not just for the quality of patients' experiences, but also for the Massachusetts economy. So here are three principles that I bring to any healthcare debate in Congress. And I do think it's critical to start with principles because this issue is so nuanced, so complicated, that if you don't start with core principles, you can quickly run adrift. Uh, number one, healthcare is a human right. It's not a job perk. Being sick is scary enough without having to worry about going bankrupt because of it. Number two, women must control their own reproductive decisions. And number three, investing in basic medical research and in the teaching hospitals and advanced clinical care is the best way that we heal patients in the long term. And it is an incredibly important driver of the Massachusetts economy. If I see a bill in Congress that can meet those three principles, uh, I'm likely to support it. I believe that building on the success of the Affordable Care Act by introducing a public option, by reintroducing the individual mandate, by fixing some of the premium hike and reinsurance challenges that we've had mechanically in the background, um, we can extend coverage to the 30 million Americans who still don't have it, and we can make coverage more affordable to those who do. It, it, yeah, go ahead, Logan. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one of the biggest policy differences we've seen in the Senate primary between Kennedy and Markey has been trade. Ed Markey has been generally more pro-NAFTA and TPP, and Kennedy has been uh, steadfastly anti-trade deal. I'm curious, what, what are your positions on this? Would you be more towards free trade, more towards protectionism, and how do you feel about the USMCA? One of the greatest anti-poverty programs in the history of the world was the liberalization of Chinese and Indian markets and the expansion of trade over the last 45 years uh, has taken hundreds of millions of people out of poverty throughout this world, has raised living standards generally. Uh, don't quote me on the exact number, but something like 40,000 people have left extreme poverty every single day uh, over the last decades because of the expansion of international commerce. Uh, I believe there is a moral urgency behind trade to that extent. Um, do we need to hold our trading partners to account for labor and environmental standards? Of course we do. Do we need to be strategically mindful in how we negotiate trade agreements so that we are um, thinking not just of economic prosperity, but also of America's strategic interests? Yes, we do. And that I think is especially relevant with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which would have been a significant constraint on Chinese expansionism in the South China Sea. Um, but in general, um, the United States and the world has prospered through trade.
Uh, that's important, actually, because I know that one of the candidates who has actually become a writing candidate, Nick Matthew, has called for more tariffs. So I think it's really great to hear all these perspectives. Um, I think, oh, yeah, Jesse, go ahead. <laughs> I didn't see your mic. Yeah, so um, I don't know if this is going to be the final question, but I think this is really important um, to the voters. So Congressman Seth Walton has said that uh, veterans in Congress is a key to bridging the partisan, uh, the partisan divide. Uh, you were uh, an officer in the Marine Corps. Uh, Congress received a huge infusion of veterans in 2018, and you could be part of the next one. Uh, what did you learn in the Marine Corps that um, you think you could bring to the halls of Congress? I was honored in the Marines to lead Americans from all walks of life who were putting service before self and who were invested in a common mission. Americans want a politics of dignity and unity out of Washington, D.C. And instead, what we have been subjected to has been corrosive and squalid debate. I think I can work with other veterans in Congress to, to re-emphasize our common American values and to recommit ourselves to our common American purpose. Well, I think that this has been a wonderful session of the Cod Cabin. Uh, I want to say thank you to Jake Auchincloss for coming on. I hope your son Teddy is doing very well. I know this is the first time for you uh, having your son. Um, so congratulations on that. And thank you once again for coming to the Cod Cabin. Uh, and any final words? I uh, have had a ton of fun talking with you guys. You always ask very thoughtful questions and I enjoy it. So thanks for inviting me on. And to those who are listening, I would say that I have led in times of crisis in the Marine Corps. I've led in uncertainty in business and I've led in collaboration on the Newton City Council and I'm ready to lead again in, in the most consequential term of Congress in our lifetimes. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Mr. Auchincloss. I almost said Congressman Auchincloss, not yet, not yet. Um, well, thank you everyone for joining us. This has been the Cod Cabin. Join us next time. I'm Adam Bass with Jesse Hahn and Logan. Thank you and goodbye.